Hello everyone and welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I am a youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. This is our pilot episode, the very first one at Not So Secular. And so I'd like to thank you for being part of this. I'd like to thank you for making time for this. This is the beginning of something new for us. If you are a Christian, a Jesus follower, I hope and I pray that this could be a place for us to journey together, that this could be a shared space for us to seek to know Christ better, to seek to live in His ways, to follow His will, to to discern what it is that He's leading us to so that we could walk in His footsteps. However, if you are not someone who would identify as Christian, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And I hope as well that this could be at least a place for stimulating conversations, for stimulating discussions about the Christian worldview, about the Christian perspective, about how we see the world, how we make sense of the world, and how, hopefully, this could be of value to you as well. And so, to start things right off, without further ado, I'd like to start this with a theme that is very important, that will be important even to the succeeding episodes of this podcast. I'd like to begin this by asking a simple yet important question, and that is, how does God work in our lives today? All that and more on this episode. Alright, very quickly, what comes into your mind when you think about how God moves? When you think about how God acts or does something in this world, what is the first image, what is the first thought that comes into your mind? For some of us, what comes into our minds is something resembling what people call a miracle. You know, those those significant moments where God reaches in and does something that is so obvious that it was God who did it. Maybe this comes in the form of something that you prayed for, getting something that you prayed for when, for example, when you're praying for healing, either your own healing or the healing of someone that you care about, and then you just find out for some odd reason that that what you were praying for, the illness that you were praying for um, to be removed from the person is just suddenly not there anymore. Sometimes these things do happen. Or maybe on a lighter note, maybe you've been praying for something like opportunities that you need, something like a blessing, a particular blessing that you need. I remember when I was in college, the the second time that I went to college, because the first time I only lasted for half a year and I had to stop for a year. But the second time that I went to college, when I was taking things a bit more seriously, I was constantly praying to God for me to pass. Because I did not want to fail. I did not want to be an irregular student again. And I did not want to have to deal with all of the stress of, you know, I just wanted to stay as a regular student all the way through. And if you didn't know, I was taking a, a degree in engineering during that time. So that's five years. And there were just certain subjects that I would, I was on the verge of failing. And <laughs> 
it's kind of crazy to think about it because there, there are actually classmates that I know, classmates who are obviously smarter than me, obviously more talented in that area of engineering, but man, they were struggling as well. And there were moments where I was sure I would fail in this particular subject, but by the grace of God, I make it through. I made it through. And so maybe that's something that you think about, you know, getting something that you prayed for, a certain miracle. You don't understand how it happens, but it does happen. Or maybe it's something that you didn't pray for. You know, God can work miracles even though, even when you don't specifically ask for it, although he does encourage us to ask for the things that we want and need. So maybe that's something that comes into your mind, a miracle, some sort of answered prayer. For some of us, when we think about how God moves, we think of signs. You know, when you're deciding between two things or when you're looking for some sort of confirmation from God that you did the right thing, the thing that you just did, you know, sometimes we ask God for signs. Lord, if, if this is where you're leading me, if I'm supposed to respond to this person who's courting me, if, if give me a sign. You know, give me a sign, Lord. If I see a yellow flower today, then I'll know that it's you. Sometimes we do that, right? Have you ever done something like that when you're choosing between two things? Like, for example, and then you see, you see what you're asking for. You see, uh, you see someone who's selling some pagita. Maybe that's the kind of sign that you, ask, you asked for. You see it. You see the sign that you were looking for. And then you say, yes, Lord. Now, now I know that this is where you're leading me. Now it's time for me to quit that job because it's, you're obviously leading me to this place. Now, he, here, here, I am, this, is, this is not something that I am recommending that you do. There are different ways to discern. And although God does answer through science, I just don't recommend it because we tend to be biased toward what we're looking for. You know, you tend to see the science that we want to see. And so, and so, but that's just a side note. But that's sometimes how we think about how God moves in our lives. We think about science. Sometimes what we think about when we think of how God moves is we think of, we think of certain feeling. We think of, uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard this before from someone who's sharing maybe about how, you know, when I made this decision, I just knew that it was from the Lord. Why? Because I had this sense of peace in my heart. Maybe you've felt that before. Or maybe you've heard someone talk in that way before. Sometimes we associate that with how God speaks to us. You know, when we have this inner peace, when we have this, this assurance that seems to flow over us because we're calm and things seem to make sense. But, you know, sometimes... When God leads us to something, it's not always calm. When God leads us to something, sometimes it gets chaotic. But that's beside the point again. Maybe we could talk about that on a different day. But God, God does give that sometimes. God does give that, um, that, that sense of peace in the middle of the storm, say, if that's something that you're going through. And so we think about these things, right? These are some of the things that we consider when we think about how God moves. Sometimes we think of miracles. Sometimes we think of science. Sometimes we think of peace, and yes, these things could be ways in which God can move in our lives. But for today, I'd like to focus on one way. And if I may say, I think this is one of God's preferred ways. We'll talk more about why I think that. And we'll, we'll think about one way that if you notice God moving in this way, you just can't unsee it. 
you know, when you watch those thriller movies that has this this twist ending about how when you, you watch the whole movie, right? Say the movie lasts for about two hours. You watch the entire movie and, and on the last 15 minutes, there's just this one detail that's revealed to us, that is revealed to you as the viewer, that just changes your perspective, that allows you to see all of those other details that you Maybe you didn't notice the first time you saw that movie and then things begin to make much more sense. Have you ever had those kinds of experiences when you're watching a movie? This detail, you know how God moves, when you notice this, you just can't unsee it. In the same way that you, would, you, could, you could nod toward the writer, the director of the movie and say, Yo, I see what you did there. This could be, like, say when we're reading scripture, when you notice this, you just can't unsee it. And you could just nod to the author and say, you know, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And here is what I'm trying to say. When God does something, He does it through people. Think about it. When God does something, He does it through people. When God wanted to restore humanity, when He wanted to to save um, a, a certain group of humanity, the remaining righteous group of humanity, when he, well, what did he do? He called a guy named Noah when he wanted to unite his people to, to become a kingdom, right? When his people was just all over the place and didn't know what to do. What did he do? What did God do? He called a guy named David. If you look through the, the biblical stories, the biblical story as a whole, you'll see that it's it's full of these different characters, of these different people through whom God moves. And to make that point further, I'd like to share with you three examples, three um, situations where that happens. We're going to take a look at three people uh, and, and try to see, try to understand better what we mean when we say that God moves through people. And so, are you ready? The first one is not actually a person, it's a pair. And so the first one is Adam and Eve. This happens in the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, and the, all the wild animals, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. I'd like to draw our attention to a particular word that is used in this passage, and that word is the word image. In Hebrew, this is telem or imago in Latin. And you know, so you might think of an image. How do we use the word image today? You, you might think of a picture. Exactly. It's something like that. But if you were to look toward the ancient culture, toward the time of the, the, the Israelites, a, a telem or an image is, is something that we might call a statue nowadays. Have you ever been to Luneta Park? Rizal, right? You, you see there the telem, the image of Rizal, right? Have you ever been to Monumento? You see in the middle of the rotunda, the image of Andres Bonifacio. Question, is that 
Andres Bonifacio, the one we see in Caloocan, the one we see in Monumento, is that Jose Rizal, the one we see in Luneta? No. But what is it? What it is 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 it's a representation of Jose Rizal. So so much that when we see it, we think of Jose Rizal. We just we don't just think of the image. We don't just think of the statue. We just we don't call it a statue. We call it Rizal. It's Rizal Park. It's not him, but it represents him. A part of what it means for us to, to say, a part of what it means when the text says that God created mankind in his image is that we are made to represent God. We are not God, but we can represent him. Are you following? In the same way that a picture can represent say, uh, someone that we care about. You have those moments when you look at your phone and then maybe you have on your as your wallpaper um, a significant other or your parents or your family or maybe it's a selfie. But, but that's the thing, you know, if even a selfie is representative of you. A, a picture of your family is representative of your family. You don't put the photo in your wall as your wallpaper just so that you could think about a photo, but... You put it there so that you could think about the people being represented on the photo. Are you with me? And so when the text says that God created mankind in his image, we are supposed to represent God in such a way that when, 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 when others see us, they get reminded of God as well. How does it happen? It happens through the lives that we lead. Let's read further. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. You might notice a word there that was also used before in the prior verses that we read. And that is the word dominion. Uh, so you see sandwiched, um, you see in the middle, it said God created mankind in, in his image. So it's sandwiched between two statements that says, let them have dominion. In other translations, it says, let them rule. Because that's the thing, right? We are made to be co-rulers with God. We are made to be co-creators with God. Part of how we represent God is by how we rule. What does that even mean? This is poetic language. And so let's, let's understand it further by looking at what, what other things that we see on the passage. On the passage, it tells us that, that Adam and Eve were placed where? They were placed in a garden. What is a garden? A garden is such a great symbol. A garden is the middle ground between nature and structure. If it's all nature, then it's not a garden, it's a forest. If it's all structure, then it's not a garden, it's a building, maybe. But you see, a garden represents both nature and structure. It represents both what God does and what man does. A garden is, is you know, we don't, we don't grow the plants by our own power, we, we can grow plants by, by our efforts, but the, the way that plants grow is by, is by nature. 
right? It, it part of it is how what God gives us, and so the garden is is representative of that kind of partnership that happens between God and man as we co-rule with Him. In church language, this is something that we refer to as stewardship. We are stewards of God's creation, and so by how we rule, by how we by how we lead our lives by how we go about the world because we are created with such immense creative capacity whether you are someone who would call yourself a creative or not artistic or not that's that's another that's beside the point right because you know we can be creative even when you're an engineer for example just in a different way um i'm, I'm not using creative in that sense in the artistic sense i'm using creative in the sense that we can create co-create with god and so that's part of how we're made. That's part of how Adam and Eve were made. It says in the next chapter, in Genesis 2, chapter... Oh, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 all the way to 17. It says, The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and care for it. The Lord God gave the man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. Okay, there is a lot to be made of that tree and maybe we could talk about this in a different episode, expound on this more. But we can see right on the offset, right from the very beginning that one of the things that God gives people, that God gives man and woman Aside from the garden and aside from food and seeds, what God gives them is responsibility. What God gives them is freedom, the freedom to decide. God gives them a duty. And for us to become, to become good stewards, for us to, become, to, to fulfill that God-given responsibility well, that requires something that we call virtue. And so, that's Adam and Eve. But then something happened. But then on chapter 3, then comes the fall. Because if we are given, if humankind are given the freedom to say yes to God, that means that we also have the freedom to say no to God. That is what we call sin. Sin essentially, is to say no to God. And so the fall of man happened. And we see this downward spiral happening with starting with Adam and Eve that, that was passed on to their children that we see, we see exploding toward the nations, toward city after city, and it's just chaos. And this is where the story of Noah comes in. And th this, 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 this became... Uh, th this... This eventually led toward human beings being separated to a certain sense, to a certain degree, from God. And so what God wanted to do is God wanted to be reconciled with his creation. God wanted to be reconciled with human beings. And, and so what does he do? Here's what he does. He calls a person. Which brings us to the second example, which is Abraham. On Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, by this time his name is still Abram, he says, the text says, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your land, 
your relatives, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will find blessing in you. And so the story builds up, right? From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to verse 11, we see the fall of man spreading from from a, a personal level to a communal level to a big group level. And so there's this tension that's being created. What is God going to do about it? And what God does about it is, well, he calls a guy named Abram. This is where we find the origin of Israel. His descendants will become later on Israel. And the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, follows the story of this family all the way through. Why? Because they are important. Why are they important? Because of this promise that was given to Abraham. What promise? God wanted to reach the nations. God wanted to reach all the families of the earth. What does he do? He sends a man named Abraham. When God does something, he does it through people. He sends Abraham. He sends him and gives him this promise. He gives him, he gives him this promise of, of, of Abraham having descendants, of him becoming a great nation. Of, it says, the, the, the passage that we read earlier, it says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. But it doesn't end there. It says, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will find blessing in you. Why does God do this? Can't he just call all people at the same time? Well, I'm sure God has his, has his reasons. And I'm sure his reasons were good. And God sees the good in calling one person in an effort to reach the many. He calls one person so that that one person could represent him in the same way that Adam and Eve were called to represent him. Are you with me? There is a promise and a partnership that happens with Abraham, with the story of Abraham. When God moves, he moves through people. And so, sounds well and good, right? Abraham was called. The mission is to reach the other people, the other people who has strayed away from God. And so, that, that sounds great. Let's get on it. But then, things didn't go smoothly from there. Abraham himself had some character flaws. Abraham struggled with a lot of things, although ultimately in the end, he had proven himself as someone who trusted God, who, who, who was faithful to God. But you see, his kids had problems, the kids of his kids had problems, and later on, generation after generation, their family, the family of Abraham, find themselves trapped in a place that we now call Egypt. Well, then, back then, it was also called Egypt. And so they were, they were trapped in a place called Egypt where later on, after years, the new king of Egypt, the pharaoh, 
no longer regarded the Israelites as their equals or no longer regarded Joseph, who was the previous, the previous ruler of Israel. And so what happened was that the Israelites were, were entrapped. They were trapped and were, were worked as slaves by the Egyptians, by the Egyptian ruler Pharaoh. And, and so they were, they were enslaved and then they began crying out to God. They began crying out to, to Yahweh and they, they wanted to be redeemed. They wanted to be rescued from their slavery. And so we read that this leads us to our third example. And I think you know where this is going. And so we read to the next, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to, to chapter 3, verses 1. It says, A long time passed during which the king of Egypt died, the first king. The Israelites groaned under their bondage and cried out, and from their bondage, their cry for help went up to God. God heard their moaning, and God was mindful of his covenant with Abraham. It's mentioned again. Abraham is mentioned specifically. God was mindful of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Meanwhile, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian. Leading the flock beyond the wilderness, he came to the mountain of God, Horeb. You see that? You see what happened? It's as if, you know, when, those, when, when in movies, when, when something happens, something, something significant happens in one scene and then suddenly it pans to the next scene and it shows, you know, a seemingly unrelated character. Maybe it's the main character, but you just know that there is a reason why the director is showing you this scene after that last scene. He's trying to point out something important, right? And so what happens is that, is that they're crying out because of their, their, their enslavement. They're crying out to God and God heard them. God heard their moaning. And then what happens next? The, the camera pans and it switches to this guy named Moses. What's gonna happen next? God is going to call Moses. God wants to rescue the Israelites. And what does he do? He calls a guy named Moses. When God does something, he does it through people. I told you that this is a recurring theme. It is. And it's just so good. It's everywhere. And so, what happens? What happens next? God encounters Moses through the burning bush right? In the mountain of God, in Mount Sinai. So Moses finds himself, he, he sees the burning bush that was on fire but was not consumed. And so you might know the story from Prince of Egypt. That's one of my favorite um, Christian movies. and <laughs> Well, biblical movies. It's not just Christian. And so the Lord introduces who he is to Moses. And so we read in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, it says, But the Lord said, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry against their taskmasters. So I know well what they are suffering. Therefore, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them up from that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
Now indeed the outcry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, I actually find this really funny. You know, it, it's very epic, right? It's very poetic. The Lord said, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cry. I know that they are suffering. I will deliver them from this land to a, an even better land. And so, verse 9, Now indeed the outcry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen how the, uh, the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go, <laughs> I am sending you, Moses. It, it, it's funny, right? I mean, I have heard, I will do this. God says, I will rescue them. I will bring them to a better land. And then he tells Moses, now go, I am sending you. Like if you were Moses, I think it would be, it would be reasonable to think that, wait lang, Lord, wait, wait, wait. I thought you were going to do something about this. Why are you sending me? But that's the thing. When God does something, he does it through people. When God moves, He moves through people. That is His preferred way. Is that the only way in which He moves? No, but He moves a lot in that way. And we see it everywhere. I just gave you three examples with Adam and Eve, with Abraham, and now with Moses. Moses, who was even reluctant, who was even unsure of himself. Even him, God moved through him. When God moves, he moves through people. And this might have been something that you've already experienced in your life. I'm certain that this is something that I have experienced in my life. You know, experiencing God's love through people. When I look back in my own faith journey, when I look back in my in my past and everything that happened in my experiences, including my mistakes, including some of the stuff that I, I'm not particularly proud of. When I look back to the times when I experienced the love of Jesus, it was often through others. It was through a community who accepted me and wanted what's best for me. It was through mentors, Atis and Kuyas that I had who 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 saw who saw how i could be better who who saw who saw how they could love me even when i showed them the unlovable stuff about me i i experienced god's love through some of my best friends today now that i have been friends with for for years now i i have experienced god's love through my wife katia we are representatives of God's love. The way we experience God's love can happen through our experience with others. It's not exclusive to that. I want to make that clear. It's not exclusive to that. But a very powerful way of experiencing God's love is by experiencing it through the people around you. In the same way, you can also be a representative of that love. Yes, I admit it. Yes, I acknowledge it. People can be poor images sometimes, but they are made to be images nonetheless. We are representatives of Christ. 
we are made in such a way that when we when we allow ourselves to become fully what we were meant to be the world sees more of who god is that we when we allow ourselves to to follow in christ's footsteps to live a life of virtue to 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 pursue him in creative ways in good ways in loving ways we become an image of god and because there is so much of god and so little of us you know we can all be images of god and he, the fullness of who he is just doesn't run out the fullness of who he is there is just more to image because it he's just so full he's just so full you can be a representative of god we are made to be representatives of god when god moves he moves through people and that includes you we find the full expression of this of course in jesus jesus christ who is fully divine and fully human as our catholic teaching would would tell us he is someone who he is god incarnated incar incarnate in the flesh that's what incarnated means god in the flesh he he's not just some spiritual guru who was detached from the world he's not just some some spiritual entity you know who has come to reveal something important and then i'm god and then that's it you follow me he's not like that he's incarnated the way he revealed himself is in the flesh he is tangible he is concrete and the way he lived this life is very much concrete as well that is representative of how we ought to live our lives too our faith lives are meant to be concrete it's meant to be lived out experienced by others jesus is incarnated jesus after his death was resurrected as well and the way he was resurrected if you go to john the gospel of john toward the end what does he do he cooks fish for his apostles one of the first things that he does is he cooks fish for his disciples jesus eats fish <laughs> he likes a good breakfast and he he resurrected in the flesh again to show us that that our renewed lives our lives that are that, are, that have been renewed by our faith that have been renewed by the grace of god are also meant to be tangible are also meant to be concrete expressions of god's love to the world and to others and lastly he incarnated he resurrected and lastly he ascended and that is an expression of his rulership that he is the ultimate lord of all we are co-rulers with him but he is the ruler he is the lord and now we with the power of his presence through the holy spirit are to become image bearers we are to become good image bearers hopefully now that takes a lot of work that takes a lot of that a lot of wrestling with god a lot of obedience a lot of having to having to untangle a lot of the things that maybe we learned the wrong way or maybe stuff that that are holding us back from the past having to deal with some of our baggage but the thing is we're on a journey we're on a journey and we are blessed 
to have a guide who chooses to walk with us. We are blessed to have a father who expresses himself to us in tangible ways through his spirit and through his spirit working in the lives of the people around us. In the same way, we can be tangible expressions of that love as well. We are called to be partners with God. There is so much in you. And I hope and I pray that as we, as we journey together, as we begin this new thing together, that you see that more and more in your life, that we see that more and more in our lives. I am part of this too. I am part of this too. That as we journey together, we learn more of what it means to become image bearers, to become in the likeness of God. And so to, to wrap this to wrap this up, this, this first episode, I want to read something from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is a book of uh, a lot of the, the teachings of the Catholic Church, basically. And I want to read to you from, from paragraph 1704 and 1705. It says, the human person participates in the light and power of the divine spirit. By his reason, he is capable of understanding the order of things established by the Creator. By free will, he is capable of directing himself toward his true good. He finds his perfection in seeking and loving what is true and good. By virtue of his soul and his spiritual powers of intellect and will, man is endowed with freedom, an outstanding manifestation of the divine image. Thank you guys for listening. I have enjoyed this, the first episode. I hope this was of value to you. If it was, share it with your friends. This episode was uploaded with along with two other episodes. And those two episodes, these are what we may call conversation-type episodes where I have a conversation with someone else. So I invited two guests to join me for each of those. And it's going to be good as well. And so I want to see you there. And um, I'm praying for you always. And let's continue this. Let's continue this together. Thank you. Bye-bye.